Konnichiwa. How do y'all? I'm Leslie. I'm Laurie. Welcome to Sumo Kaboom, where we talk about all things sumo. Yes. And this shall be our last episode of, of the 2023. Yeah, 2023. That's right. So we're going out with a bang, y'all. We're talking about something that is so important. I'm sure this is like <laughs> top of your list importance when it comes to sumo. So why we picked is, it for the last episode of the year. It is fashion. Sumo fashion. Well, and more importantly, from my end of things, it was about weaving. <laughs> Let me tell you where this idea came from. And it came from y'all. It came from listeners. We had a couple of questions that came in. One was, have you seen the Yukata video? Like, look at what all these guys are wearing. Can you do an episode about that? So we got that question. And then we also got a question from a listener about the connections between sumo and samurai culture. Can you talk mm -hmm. more about how they're connected? Right. And sometimes, you know, these things are hard to research. Well, because the nuance of some of these things is like just buried deep within kanji and the Japanese internet. Yeah. So and please forgive American. us. Yeah. Please forgive us if there's inaccuracies. We are trying our best. We have yes. all of our sources in the show notes. Um, so you can read it up and interpret it yourself and go, That's oh, right. okay. That's right. Um, but we try our best. So we please do. forgive us if we are not completely accurate, but we do <laughs> but our gonna, best to yeah. try to be accurate. We're, we're trying. But the basics of what we're talking about today is what these guys wear besides their mawashis because we have we have been fascinated from the very beginning about what they wear and the colors their that they wear go. right how <laughs> what sort of underwear goes underneath all their outfits we wonder so right. this is a little bit of an answer yeah. to that question Sumo because jammies. some of you yeah. obviously wonder as well right so we're going to talk about all that stuff but first we actually don't have a newsflash. Perfect. Let's get right to the weaving. Let's get right to it. Okay, well, I will probably bore your eyeballs out with oh, this no. next part. But 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 it <laughs> was very fascinating. It was very fascinating to me, actually. Oh, then I'm sure it'll be um, great. But this episode maybe, or at least my section maybe more. Uh, any, never mind. I'm just going to keep going. Okay, so we all know that they have their regular mawashi. Yeah. Now, we have a whole episode about mawashis. We're going to probably repeat a, a number of those things today, but I'm just going to break down real quick what they wear. Okay, so okay. you all know that they wear a mawashi. They have their practice mawashi, okay? Yeah. yeah. These are made of canvas, like really thick canvas, okay? Almost impossible to fold or do anything with, yeah. but somehow, Heavy. miraculously, these guys do something with it. They buy them from the JSA. They are both like the black ones that the lower ranked guys wear. Um, those are like 800 yen. And then the white ones that the Sekitori, the Jurio, and the Makuchi wrestlers wear, they're like 950 yen, which is basically under $10. Yeah, so they're like six, practice. seven bucks. And you're talking practice, practice yeah, for washing. Yeah. And these never get washed. Yep. When they're bought, they come in like, I don't know, they're like 30 feet and yeah. uh, long, two feet wide. They boil them in... Honestly, 
this mm. is what we do with all of our gym wear. Right. We boil we it boil and it. then never wash it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So they boil it for 30 minutes on each side because one half of it's sticking out of a pot yeah. while the other end's boiling. And they put a little fabric softener in there, but then they flip it over and do another 30 minutes on the other side. Yeah. And when the video I watched, because I thought, oh, this should be easy to just go back through this. And then I was like, I've watched in just 12 hours more videos of people tending to Mawashis than anyone would ever care to do. So let me tell you that there were three large guys, younger guys in the, the stable that were making, uh, you know, or prepping this Mawashi to yeah, be worn. Yeah. So once they boil it, they put it out across the floor. And then these three guys work in tandem with a empty beer bottle yep. um, to fold it over once and then they crease that i mean and it's precision done it's perfect it's like origami and then lengthwise again they will fold it over again so it makes kind of a skinnier belt but it's crazy ass thick prior to that there might be residue from the the softener they would brush that out but that's pretty much it they rinse it brush it out air it out and then fold it and then they put like a bag of rice on it mm-hmm. uh, or like two 20 kilogram weights and just wait for it to just like give in to its new structure. Okay. And then that extremely rigid thing somehow gets folded onto a wrestler's body and they make a little pocket for their for their nuts and bolts. And uh, like that part like spreads out. like I'm 12. And, uh, <laughs> and that's what a practice in Mawashi is. They would yeah. only replace it if it gets super gross. I mean, every day it gets brushed out. Or if they're... If their oyakata dies, then they would wash it. But other than that, they would just get a new one if they're super stinky. Or as who said it? Tochi no. No. Gagamaru said you could get poop on it. So let's be real. If you had an accident, you were like, I got to go buy myself another. I mean, it's just $7. But the the pain in it is having somebody else or having to prepare it yourself like that and break it in again. Yeah. Yeah. Which is unlikely because they get used to these mawashis. Yeah. Yeah. And these are not the type of thing that you're going to leave in a gym bag in a locker. For days on end. You right. wear them, you work out on them, and then you hang them uh, across a fence right. in the sun. To air out. To air out and hopefully get rid of some of the bacteria. Right. Yeah. And they are folded differently. The high rank guys have that toilet paper roll where the, the, the long part, the end part. Which in the front? In the front would be tucked in kind of like a roll, uh, roll of toilet paper. And they often will have their calligraphy of their uh, Shikona written on there or done, inked in by the stable Gyoji. The lower rank guys, since they're wearing black mawashis, they know how they break them in and they can often tell, oh, that one that's stained like that, that's mine. So that's how they tell theirs. Looking at a whole big row of them, they're like, that's my butt crease. That's what yep. I know. Yep. It's mine. And theirs is folded in the front, like a little bit more like a triangle. So they do have different folds. Like everything in this world, the more privilege you get, the higher up you rank, the more subtleties you have to your costuming, essentially. And this is one of those things. Okay. So let's move on to, unless there's any other questions you have about that sometimes they will tuck in um, rabbit feet rabbit feet but they will do that also for their tournament mawashi uh their silk yeah uh, those are called shimikomi and uh, i will chat with you a little bit about those now also big old shout out to tachi blog who gave me a lot of information originally and again this time just sending me in the right direction of who to research about a lot of this stuff so shout out to tachi blog there are one, maybe two guys in all of Japan mm-hmm. that make these mawashis for the tournaments. Now, these are the silk, like 
silk mawashi. This is silk satin. It is handmade. And I made handmade, not like on an automatic machine. These are looms that are hand looms. And there's just like hardly anyone who does it anymore. Mm -hmm. So there is a man named Mr. Masanobu Nakagawa, and he is from Nagahama City in Shiga Prefecture, which is, I think, central Japan around Kyoto. You know, the Silk Road kind of ends in Japan and, and all of this world of silk just kind of sits in tradition in Kyoto and some of these central areas of Japan. You will find ancestry in weaving within families, mm -hmm. like four, five, six generations. They'll go back. And Mr. Nakagawa has been weaving for over 60 or more years at this point. And he is the main go-to for making these mawashis. Now, in all artistry in Japan and craftsmanship, it seems like everything takes five to seven years, sometimes 10 or more years to perfect craft where you're allowed to do it. And this is this is the same thing where these artisans come in, they learn first how to even work the machine, and then maybe years down the road, they're actually allowed to make something. And then they screw up for a number of years until they perfect it. And so that makes sense why there's only one or two guys that does this. He will get an order from... There's a middleman, and I don't know who the middleman is, but apparently all of the sponsor clubs for each wrestler, each wrestler has sponsor clubs, and that is who financially supports these wrestlers. And they are the ones who buy these expensive silk mawashis, and each one of these upwards of $6,000. So it's like a million yen. It's a lot of money, and they're gifted to the wrestler. They have a choice of what kind of color they want, but it's essentially ordered by their sponsor club, they connect to this middleman and the middleman goes to Mr. Nakagawa and says, this is what we need. And then he starts making this. So he actually doesn't know who he's making it for. And that's what I thought was fascinating. He's in charge of finding the right threads and this process of making these mawashis is at least 10 or more days, right? So Ura's is cherry blossom. That was the descriptor. And so then he has to go and create this with handwoven silk thread. 15,000 threads are woven into this hand crank machine. And he gets the order often right as the promotions are announced. And then he has a month to get at most three of them done. That's about all he can do. And he, with another guy, will tag team and make these mawashis. Now, I watched a video of a man making these. I think it was him or Mr. Ono, who I'm going to talk about, who, who also participates in making the apron for the Kesha mawashi. Mm -hmm. The process of loading the machine, like, <laughs> takes just three days or more. Like, they're not even, they're not even weaving for all of that time. It takes 10 or more days, 15 days to make them, but the actual intricacies of this hand loom will blow your friggin' mind. And these looms are also 60 years old or more. So he's learned it from one guy and that's the guy who does it because it is so mind boggling in scope, how this thing works. And they have to learn how to put the machine together before they can even learn to weave on it. Mm -hmm. So they have to know when something goes wrong, one little thread, they have to know where it comes from. So it's completely fascinating, but makes complete sense. Yeah. You got to wax the car. You got to wax on and wax off. Exactly. Before you do the martial art. 
Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, nice Karate Kid, uh, original Karate Kid Thanks. reference. Thanks. Then he sends it back and then he will often watch the tournaments and then find out who indeed he made the Mawashi for. But oftentimes they don't know. They don't know who does what. Both ends of the spectrum are like, I'm making this incredible thing for this guy. This guy doesn't know where it comes from. And Why it's this one artisan. man, I wonder. Why? I don't know. I don't know. I really don't know. Huh. But that's just the way they do it. Um, did you know that women are not allowed to touch the mawashi either? Well, kind of makes sense. Would you want to touch a mawashi? No, but like one that's finished, that's no one's ever worn, it's considered bad luck. So oh. don't get your greasy woman paws on anybody's... Dang it. I know. But there was one blog I read, and there was a woman who had gone and interviewed this guy, and he allowed her. He was like, you can touch this. This is a scrap from Cockadoos. And she had said, oh. this is so... It's not rigid. It handmade versus the automatic looms mm -hmm. it has a softer touch which makes sense if you're a wrestler and you're wearing it around your body intimate like in intimate spaces yeah. you wouldn't want a ton of rigidity you would want a fluid sort of feeling to it and i it, would think that you would be really used to a practice mawashi which is real rigid but then so you it doesn't but, really matter but that gets that gets you know, that gets worn in in time. But it they, becomes soft. Perhaps they just want the softer touch right. for the basho. It's I, perhaps. I get that. Perhaps. But he says the reason why hand looming, this is maybe where we've just completely bored our audience. When hand looming, you have to be aware of the humidity. And if one droplet of sweat gets onto your expensive mawashi that you're making, you, you can ruin it. So a machine can't regulate how much to weave it just weaves it. And so that's why if somebody knows the yarn and can see and feel the humidity from the room affecting the threads, they will thread a certain amount, take a break. And they won't, they won't do more than like four inches a day. It's like they have a certain amount that they do and then they stop. Now, wrestlers are never allowed to wear white silk. They used to wear indigo or, or dark blue and purple. And that is still officially the rule. It's just with the television uh all this all the tournaments the wrestlers now break the rules and make the mawashi any color that they want but they are forbidden mm. to wear white and so they do not wear you will never see a white one i you thought will i'd see... seen one with the kesha mawashi no no uh the shimikomi the the tournament mawashi now there's different tones you can have gold you can probably have a lighter color but you can't you have, have ivory you could have eggshell but you but cannot not have White. Okay. Okay. That makes that more sense. That is a no no. And we've talked before about the cigari, which are the, the little sticks that hold down. And those represent the old aprons, like the the big, like formal aprons that, that are the Keshamawashi that I'm about to talk about. In the old ye old Edo days, the wrestlers used to fight with those on, and they would be sponsored by daimyos or feudal lords, and their their clan insignia would be on the apron as a uh, advertisement for that feudal lord who was like, I want you to be wearing my clan yeah. like emblem. And so the wrestlers were like, okay, but like, this is really like awkward and like kind of hard to wrestle in. So they created these cigari, which stick down. They're only in odd numbers. They're never even numbered. They're always a certain between like 13 and 25. And they represent what that old apron was. And it also represents no-no zones, which I didn't realize. It says these are the areas you're not allowed to wrestle oh, on the yeah, which is your no no zone, your main God, frontal like, no no zone. What do you no -no mean zone. by no no zone? Yeah, you can't grab somebody. You never see somebody grab them by the 
the well, front let's package. Hope not. Let's We're, hope not. Right. But yeah. they're not allowed to. So yeah. it's just another reminder of that. So when I was looking into the Kesha Mawashi, though, the actual sponsor Mawashi that they wear in the Doyo Iri, that's another discussion because that uh, long apron, there's another guy who just only does kind of that. Now, he doesn't do the embroidery on it. That's another guy that only does that. Mm-hmm. All of them artists that have been doing it forever. And there's a guy named uh, Mr. Ono. And Mr. Ono also spends uh, an obscene amount of time weaving textiles. And this kind of textile or weaving, he this was a guy who inherited his father's shop in the 1960s. His father also goes way back making these Keshamawashi. So he inherited it from his father. And when he inherited it from his father in the 80s, they were making kimonos as well. Amazingly ornate, beautiful silk thread. Uh, I mean, also very expensive. But when he took it over, people weren't wearing kimonos. With modern culture, they were wearing modern clothes. So that the business tanked and he had to sell off all of his automatic looms let go of his employees and he ended up going well what am i going to do i have one hand loom and a fighting spirit and he was inspired by the sumo wrestler so hmm. he took on specifically making kesho mawashis and mr ono he has a website you can visit and uh, we'll put it in our show notes and you can see some of his videos you can see a video of kind of start to finish the intricacy of how he loads this machine it is nuts. It's a hundred year old hand loom. And he does his best to take the spirit of the wrestler and incorporate that within his weaving. So this kind of weaving style, uh, I believe is called Nishijin. It's brilliantly dyed silk interwoven with lash, uh, lavish gold and silver threads into a complex and skillful pattern. So I think he probably does some aspect of the ornamental patterning on the apron itself. And then someone else comes in and does the embroidery on top. Okay. And that person operates somewhat using these twisted, like gorgeous threads. They have like this also ancient hand cranked uh, machine that twists the threads together for the embroidery. That person sort of works. Have you ever seen ladies quilting where they go up from the bottom and down from the top Mm -hmm. and they work kind of on a large like rectangle space Mm -hmm. where it's holding it out and then you take your needle and you pop it up and then you bring it through so it's all hand done they get their pattern out and their pattern is often inspired by the wrestler and their sponsor group the sponsor could be a commercial thing um, like yogurt or uh, Takayasu's Charlie Chaplin one was done. And that was inspired by whoever the, the, um, the sponsor was or the CEO of that company really idolized Charlie Chaplin and saw the, the brilliance in him in Takayasu as well. So some of that comes into play. There was one I, I saw of Shodai. He had like this really brilliant like chicken <laughs> and it was beautifully ornately hand embroidered but they Mm. take the big pattern that they create and sometimes it's anime it's all over the place and some of it's like sumo lore with connections to anime or manga and sometimes it's just their hometown like kumamoto like shodai has one from that's the the town mascot it really can come from anywhere but it's a pattern that someone will hand embroider with these tightly bound silver and gold and vermilion type of colors of threads to this like rich rich embroidery and then tassels finally at the bottom and the tassels are what you would see in shrines 
the tassels are meant to ward off evil spirits. So that's why there are those large tassels at the bottom. Also, in the new the year. The bottom of what? The Keshamawashi apron. I don't think I've noticed that. How could you not notice? It's I like I just the, thought it was fringe. I don't know. That's, yeah, fringe. Yeah. Anyway, they also, the Japanese in the new year put those over doors. It's like, it's representative of keeping the evil spirits away, keeping everyone safe. And I imagine for sumo wrestlers, it would be the same uh, for warding off bad evil spirits that would do harm or injury. So I know I have just gone through that like a crazy person, but hopefully it gives you some sort of idea of just how intricate of a process this is, how involved of a process it is, how much of an old art this is created by artisans still doing it today. And we'll continue to hopefully pass it down for generations. Um, but it's, it's truly fascinating if you're into woven threads. And if, again, I bored you like crazy, well, then there's just some episodes that of Sumo Kaboom that you just don't like. And the one about weaving may just be it. One thing that y'all may not know about Leslie is she is a crafter. I am a crafter. And an embroiderer. Yes. Embroiderer? Is that a... I don't know if that's a word. She does embroidery. Yeah. So perhaps when you retire, you could do Keshamawashi. I could. I could. They're, they... I, I'd make a lot of money, but it would be years of investment. I mean, a Yokozuna... I mean, each one of these is insane. When they become a Yokozuna, they're gifted theirs plus two more for their attendance. And by the way, I should state, since we're about to talk about what goes under things, those are the only ones, the attendants, the Yokozuna's attendants, that have the fundoshi underneath them, which is the little, basically, G-string that keeps your nuts from touching the actual yeah. satin because we did a whole silk. episode on that. Yeah, because you don't want to, because different guys wear those all the time. You yeah. don't want to put on somebody else's dirty stuff. Yeah. So, but otherwise... <laughs> Otherwise, I spent an entire week looking at fundoshi. <laughs> that was yet another and deep it was dive. Not I took. a fundoshi time. I I thought it was. Was it? Yes, I thought it was a great fundoshi time. Yes, but this was all quite detailed because every all of the different weaving types have different names and reasons and histories. So go down the rabbit hole of videos and and uh, start there and let me know what you learn. It's kind of interesting. My piece of this is not nearly as detailed. Because when uh, when someone sent us a video that was like, look at these yukata, like, wow, look at these yukata, I just did. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm going to take, I'm just going to take a lighter look at what these guys wear outside of the ring when they're not wearing gym clothes. Right. Because we've do, seen We've them. seen that. Yes. Yeah. We've seen them in gym clothes and I love seeing them in gym clothes. I love it when we get a good shot of them lifting weights in gym clothes. In regular people clothes. Yep. We're like, they're human. Yeah. They're just like us. It's great. Yeah. Look, they're wearing Nikes or whatever. Whatever. They can wear anything. Doesn't matter. I love it. But you will also see them in some other clothes. There must be a place when these guys get out of their vehicles or get off the subway and they walk into where the Basho is held. There must be a place where people can sort of line up and take pictures of these guys as they're walking in. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of photos come from that spot. And what's happening is these guys have to look their best when they walk into the Basho. They can't just wear their gym clothes. They have to wear a yukata. On the way in. And most of them, not all of them, but most of them are customized yukata called a samanuki 
or a somanuki. I'm actually not sure how to say that. Okay. How do you spell it? S-O-M-E-N-U-K-I. Oh, somanuki. Yeah. So a yukata is just like a robe. It's like a summer robe. They're real thin. It just looks like what you would wear when you get out of the shower, if you were to wear a thin robe, right? But a yukata that's customized is like upscaled. And it's usually with a belt, right? They usually have a striped belt that they put with it. And these yukata that these men wear are all sorts of colors. Sometimes they have their sponsors on them. Some of them look like really serious in the front and are like really exciting from the back, like a mullet. Some of them are a single color and they're usually not dull. I mean, if they're a single color, they're like bright green or bright yellow. These men are not afraid of color. Or if they have a pattern, it's beautiful pattern all over them. This is where they can really let their personality fly. And I don't know if they're buying them on their own or if sponsors are giving them to them all the time. I really, I don't know that. But they're just gorgeous. Like you'll see shots of Ura in a pink yukata, of course, that just looks beautiful. And it's got like a spiky porcupine mm-hmm. on the bottom. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful. Or you'll see Kirishima has that beautiful one of the wolf yeah. on the bottom. Which is symbolism from, from Mongolia. So there's always like meaning, yep. usually meaning. And also they have uh, their names embroidered, not embroidered, but they have their shikona on theirs. Actually, there's kanji on a lot of them. So I don't know what the hell it says. Like, it could say anything. It could say, come to my house. It could say, yo, it could say anything. I wouldn't be able to tell you because I'm slowly learning learning kanji. And if it's not like fish or house, I can't read it. So you never know what's on there there's oh like for someone who's foreign like aoyama has a beautiful one with a bulgarian flag on the bottom Mm -hmm. nishkiki has a really amazing bright blue yukata that has like really gorgeous yellow sunflowers all around the base it's really really beautiful there's bridges there's just all sorts of symbology some of it's from kabuki some of it's from nature it's just all over the place it could be anything and it's lots and lots and lots of color and i guess i should say underneath it they're either wearing the sumo jammies or sometimes they'll even have long pants on underneath those you'll see just like a little peak of some longer pants Mm -hmm. underneath it and they never wear socks out there i don't know why now underneath the sumo jammies or the pants and the shirt who knows i like to imagine that they're wearing underoos like superman underoos underwear who knows they might they might not i have no idea but what they do wear their socks with that i'm sure about is their traditional Japanese formal wear. There are different classes of robes. Mm -hmm. There are casual robes Mm -hmm. and there are formal robes. Mm -hmm. So it's also what you see them wearing when they have a ceremony, like when they become an ozeki. Yeah, or they do the... Yeah, or underneath when they throw the magic beans and they wear like the pink Star Star Trek uh, things. But then underneath it is the formal uh, robe. So that is traditional Japanese formal wear. And I like to think of this akin to our tuxedo. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like the James Bond tuxedo. And what I didn't realize about this is that these are super, super expensive. And for most people, they're just going to rent one. They don't really have their own unless maybe Yokozuna has his own. I don't know. 
I don't know. But for yeah. most people, they're going to wear it when they get married. They're going to wear it in ceremonies and they're just going to rent one. So these are not colorful like yukata are colorful. Right. They come in blue or black. They have gray pants or striped pants, but the outside is very, um, I don't want to say solemn, but there's a very specific way it has to look from the outside. Also think of it as a formal kimono for men. But there's so much more than I ever realized. Like, let me just tell you what they're wearing from the inside out. Okay. okay? So on the very bottom, they've got their undergarments. So they've got their Superman underoos or whatever they have they're on. Their jammies. Yep. And then on top of that, they have an under kimono, which we'll never see. Which we don't see. But it's like, it's what you... It's a slip. A women's silk. Mm -hmm. And it often has a beautiful decoration on the back. Which we'll never see. These are called nagajubans, N-A-G-A-J-U-B-A-N. So it's like a shorter silk kimono mm. that they're wearing over their underwear. And then on top of that, they have a solid black kimono that has five family crests on it. Like when you're looking at the judges, if you look at them from the back, you'll see they look like white dots on their shoulders. Hmm. Those are family crests. Hmm. And there's five of them on there. So that is what goes over the under kimono. Then they've got their uh, either gray or striped pants, which are called hakama, which this is a direct line to the samurai. Often martial arts people will wear these sort of pants and they kind of work like chaps, but they're big and wide and they've got... Mm -hmm. Like a specific amount of folds in the front. What I think they look like are big, long skirts. Oh, okay. Big, big, long, wide skirts. Wide leg skirts. Okay. Yeah, wide leg skirts, like chaps. Like, okay. like they have other pants underneath that you're not seeing. But they're like, if you think of Aikido masters, it looks like they're wearing a long skirt. These very specific, it's a very, very specific pleat pattern, which I had no, no idea. And all the pleats represent Confucian virtues valued by the samurai. So like one pleat will represent courage. Another one will represent humanity. Another one, justice. Another one, etiquette or sincerity or loyalty or honor. Like every mm. single pleat represents that and is worn in a very specific way. And then on top of that, they'll have a solid black jacket with the same five family crests on it. That one's called a heori, H-A-O-R-I. And the lining of that jacket has the elaborate designs that often match that under kimono, the silky under kimono. Hmm. But there, it's on the inside. So again, we'll never see it. It's forbidden. Yeah. Eyes to see. And the jacket is loosely tied with that white pom-pom tie. Yeah. That's what keeps the jacket from going anywhere. Yeah, so they've got yukata with those obis, the ties that have that are often right. woven. But then you also have like it's kind of like a step up from that where you'll see them all in the same color and they have the over jacket right. and the longer pants on. So you can tell it's it's like an upscaled yukata. Or a, it, if it was a tuxedo, it would be a tuxedo with ta with tails. Or it's or it's like a suit. Yeah. But then their black one with the white pom-poms, yeah. that's their tuxedo. Okay. That's, that's the super nice one that has all this embroidery or all this, all this beautiful imagery on the inside that we never get to see because we're not wearing the darn thing. Right. But it's layers upon layers of ceremony. And, and symbolism. Samurai and... symbolism and just 
absolute gorgeousness. But the other thing that I thought was so interesting about the super fancy ones mm -hmm. is these pants. They're, they're wide-legged because it's supposed to hide the motion of your feet so that your attacker doesn't know what you have in mind. Oh. So it seems like you're gliding along. So think of that. The next time you see them in some big They're white They're just pants. floating down the street. Yep. Like, oh, I have no idea which way he's going to go. Or I have no idea what he's going to do at his wedding. If he's going to, like, break out of Chico because I can't see his legs because those big wide pants. Right. You'd never know. Yeah. You would never, never know. So there you go. That's possibly more than you ever wanted to know about the clothes <laughs> that these sumo wrestlers wear. But we do answer y'all's questions. Because we know you got them, and we're just as curious. Exactly. We just, funnily enough, started with underwear. We were just like, we want to know what's underneath. What is underneath there? <laughs> and now you got way more than you asked for. That is our episode on fashion. weaving and fashion. So write home about that one. Uh, I hope you have enjoyed this episode as well as a whole year's worth of, of episodes. We are going to take a two-week break here for the holidays for us to give ourselves some sanity and to come back fresh and renewed in 2024. So we are here to wish you all a happy holidays, no matter what you celebrate or don't celebrate. We all celebrate sumo and our love of sumo. So we will be back at you. Full hearts, no can lose. What is it? Big hearts. Full, full hearts. Full farts. No hearts, hearts. Can't. Big eyes. Can't yep. lose. Can't lose. 2024. That's here right. We go. See y'all next year. Enjoy your families. Bye.